Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are just at the start of Chapter 6 of this podcast, talking about lambda encodings. And as I introduced in the last episode, what is a lambda encoding? It's some way of representing data as functions. I gave a talk in our department colloquium some years ago now, where when I was introducing this idea, I had a picture of, I think I Googled for sort of like contemporary magicians. And, you know, so that we're going to, you know, this is a magic trick. We're going to make the data disappear. We won't have data anymore. We'll just have functions. And amazingly, this can be done. And it sort of makes sense, as I was saying last time, because you sort of think of your data, we're used to thinking of it as this object, this thing that has a bit representation. I mean, this is a totally valid way to think of the data. But in our programs, we're mostly just making use of the data to compute this or that, right? So the, the fact that the data has a bit representation, you know, that's, that's great. But really, what, when I'm writing a piece of code that does something with the list, I want to know that I can ask the list, well, what's the first element? Or I could ask it, what's the nth element? as long as I'm sure n is less than the length, or maybe it might be bigger than the length, and then the list tells me, well, here's the nth element, or sorry, you ran off the end of the list, can't tell you anything. So these are ways I'm interacting with the, the data. So um, when I was first kind of getting more into this kind of thing, uh, I think there's a sort of a, isn't there an idea from Wittgenstein of sort of meaning as use? The meaning of something linguistically is derived from, or perhaps even identified with, some idea of how you use that uh, expression. And so that's kind of the idea with lambda encodings of data. You know, what is the number four? It's, it's determined by how you can make use of that number. And again, the fact is a bit representation. Hey, functions have bit representations too, you know? <laughs> so it's not like we've abandoned that. Uh, so anyway, so that's you know the basic idea of a lambda encoding. It's some scheme or other. And there are different ones, as I said. In fact, there's quite a few uh, different ones. And we, what I want to talk about briefly here, and I mentioned last time, okay, so why do we want to do lambda encodings? Well, when I say we, I mean me and like three other people in the world. Now, we, you know, this is hardly like a mainstream design decision to try to base your whole theory around lambda encodings. It does have pretty good intellectual roots because that was what Alonzo Church was trying to do. So, you know, that's you're in pretty good company there. Uh, and, and really the fact that other theories don't have this, Koch, uh, for example, started out with a pure type theory, what I call a pure type theory, meaning a theory that where the, the terms, the sort of program expression level, you know, expressions, program level expressions, but also sometimes called the terms, are just, well, this calculus of constructions is an intrinsic type theory. It's a church-style type theory. So those annotations that it has are, are really there. But besides the annotations, the terms are just terms of pure lambda calculus. So just lambda abstractions, applications, and variables. And it's encrusted over with some type annotations. But uh, the people working on the calculus of constructions. Again, this is some 
powerful, important predecessor system to the theory that's actually implemented in the Koch proof assistant, which I'm sure I must have mentioned some point in the podcast. But the Koch, C-O-Q, Koch, French for rooster, is uh, quite an influential and important and highly used constructive type theory from implemented by a team at, at INRIA in France and has found recently, within the past decade, has gotten quite enthusiastic adoption among American researchers who want to do various forms of formal methods. Uh, so anyway, the calculus of constructions was sort of the starting point for the development of caulk as it is today. And so the calculus of constructions was, uh, you know, there, there was the kind of language that could have supported working with lambda encodings. And you can lambda encode data in the calculus of constructions. And you could use those lambda encoded data to compute things, to write functions. But the problem that they ran into was that they couldn't derive induction for those lambda encoded data. So for any kind of formal reasoning tool, we absolutely have to have induction derivable. It's a basic mathematical reasoning principle, and it's a basic principle for reasoning about programs and computations. So the fact that they couldn't, and I, I, I wish I had the opportunity to ask some of the people like Thierry Cocon, who actually were working on the system early in the day there, uh, they, it's clear from the paper of the calculus of construction about the calculus of constructions called the calculus of constructions by Cocon and Huey. It's pretty clear from that paper that they knew that induction wasn't derivable, but it was only in 2001 that a Dutch type theorist named Herman Huevers proved by a counter model construction that induction is not derivable in, well, he didn't actually prove it for all of CC, but the calculus of constructions, but for a fragment of the calculus of constructions, he proved that induction is really isn't derivable. There's no way that you can... You, his, his result is quite strong. No matter how you def, try to define the natural number type with zero and successor uh, in this particular fragment of the calculus of constructions, no matter what definition you pick, it's impossible to inhabit an induction principle for that type. So... A very, you know, show-stopping kind of result for this. And sure enough, the, in the late 80s and early 90s, the, um, the researchers working on the calculus of constructions and on caulk, or the caulk in the early days there, uh, realized that they needed to add induction as a primitive to the language. And there was a couple of different sort of thoughts about how to do this early on, but what, what emerged was something called the calculus of inductive constructions, which was given a pretty definitive treatment in the doctoral dissertation of a researcher named Benjamin Werner. And uh, this is basically takes the calculus of constructions and adds a primitive data type system to the language. So Sure, you could write lambda encodings in CIC, but you wouldn't want to nowadays. You wouldn't want to because you don't have an induction principle for them. And so instead, we just add a system that lets you make data type declarations, just like you would do in Haskell or OCaml or something, to say, oh, I've got this data type of called list, and it has a constructor at nil, and it's got another constructor cons, and, and you get induction for these things. 
Uh, and that's, that's just an axiom. The, ac- the theory axiomatizes the idea that you have these sort of um, finitely generated data and they have an induction principle that goes with them. And actually, that brings me to, uh, this was meant to be actually, I was thinking, I was, as I was driving to the gym, as I am right now, I was thinking that uh, I was going to talk about the first lambda encoding that you naturally would want to consider is the church encoding due to Alonzo Church. I thought that was what I was going to talk about, but I'm almost at the gym. Uh, and so... Uh, and there's a Rockets-Lakers game that I really can't wait to watch in the gym, so I'm not going to be lingering in the parking lot, even as excited as I am about type theory. I want to watch James Harden and LeBron James for a little bit. Uh, anyway, um, so, uh, but in fact, this gives me a good opportunity to say, you know, make another point about why it's nice to have, why lambda codings are interesting to think about, and that is that, when you, you know, the current only alternative to doing this, and it's, it's hardly an alternative, the mainstream choice for which lambda encodings are this like fringe alternative, the mainstream choice is to add a data type system to your pure lambda calculus. And there's a big problem with that, which only kind of dawned on me gra- gradually. At, at first I was just thinking, yeah, I just want to have um, a small core. But with lambda encodings, you get a small flexible core. The calculus of inductive constructions back in 1995 sealed in stone the class of data types that the language supports. <laughs> All this he- heavy, scary meta theory proving normalization of the language, proving confluence, all these kind of properties you, you need and want to prove about your type theory were all done with a particular choice of a class of data types, a particular set of um, rules because you can't just have any old data type you want willy nilly that you could have in, in say Haskell. You have to impose some restrictions, or you will quickly um, you can quickly write diverging terms. There's small, simple little examples that if your data type formation is unrestricted, like you can say, I've got this data type, it has these constructors that have these types, and I don't put impose any restrictions on what the types of those constructors can be, then you will. Uh, it's very easy to write um, to show how to. Uh, derive it, it, derive false in such a language. Your theory will go inconsistent very quickly. And so you must impose some restrictions and the particular choice of restrictions you make and the particular kinds of data types you can support are now, because you've included a data type system in, in your actual true core language, are now sealed in stone. And if you want to change them, you're going to have to rework your whole core language and core theory, which could be a lot of work because you need to prove these metatheoretic properties, which is really a burdensome thing to do. And so um, one of the great things about the approach we're taking in Cedil is that we don't have to decide what is a data type up front. We just have this core pure type theory. What we have to do is discover the kinds of data types that we can legally derive. And so far, uh, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> we can do more. Um, in certain dimensions, at least, we can do more than Koch and Agda can do. Um, anyway, but we'll talk more about that another time. And lo and behold, it looks like I like type theory more than I like basketball because I'm sitting here talking in the parking lot again. So anyway, thank you for listening. <laughs>